0: man named Richard Wurmbrand uh, was a Romanian Jew, and uh, I know the story is a little dated back into the 40s, um, but I just thought it fit perfectly. He led what, what many called the underground church, and while imprisoned uh, in, his, in his home country, he spoke boldly of the gospel to his atheistic captors uh, and uh, was, in, was uh, put in jail for about 14 years. <clears throat> the political officer asked him harshly, how long will you continue to keep your stupid religion? I said to him, I have seen innumerable atheists regretting on their de- deathbed that they have been godless. They called on Christ. Can you imagine that a Christian could regret when death is near, that he has been a Christian and called on Marx or Lenin to rescue him from his faith? The atheist began to laugh a, a clever answer. I continued, when an engineer has built a bridge, the fact that a cat can pass over the bridge is no proof that a bridge is good. A train must pass over it to prove its strength. The fact that you can be an atheist when everything goes well does not prove the truth of atheism. It does not hold up in the moments of great crisis. And then he said, I used Lenin's books to prove to him that even after becoming prime minister of the Soviet Union, Lenin himself prayed when things went wrong. Well, we're in our, our real prayer series. We looked two weeks ago at, at Jacob and, and we learned to hold on. Uh, don't give up. Uh, continue to cling to God. Last week we looked at Solomon and he prayed for wisdom or administering justice, but the heart of his prayer, he, he prayed because he wanted to honor God. And so we talked about how uh, when we pray, the first thing that we the first reason we pray is to love God. <clears throat> this morning we look at a man named Jehoshaphat. I didn't make that up, it's actually in the Bible uh, Jehoshaphat, King of, king of Judah. Um, and, and the question that, that I pulled from this text is, how will your faith hold up in a crisis? How will your faith hold up in a crisis? Next week, we're going to look at a, another man named Habakkuk. And Habakkuk looked around, and, and I'm giving a little spoiler here, but uh, the world seemed to be going downhill. It seemed to, become, uh, it, it seemed to move further away from uh, his values. And I, I think, man, we, we can really relate to that. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily personal um, as much as, as this text today. Uh, This is a very personal and intense uh, crisis that Jehoshaphat uh, goes up against. So it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I'm just going to set up the story a little bit, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Mianites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, it is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. All right, in those two verses with those, all those words that I don't know if I pronounced any of them right, uh, we learn that there are a lot of soldiers coming. They are going to be outnumbered greatly. Oh, and by the way, they're really close, uh, so you're in trouble. And so Jehoshaphat, this is what he does. It says, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. All right, so he, he does what, uh, what a Christian would do or should do, um, what we're allowed to do and given the opportunity to do. A crisis is coming, and so he, he turns straight to God. And so verse 5 is the last verse before the prayer, and it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and said, and so we're going to get to Jehoshaphat's prayer now, and uh, if you use your your programs, the next three points are going to be very quick, um, but this is very important, maybe the most important part of the whole text, if you only remember a couple things, and so here's, here's his prayer, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. And so first, his prayer is, God, you are powerful. Keep going. Verse 7, Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? God, you are faithful. He remembers the promise of God and how God delivered. And then 8 and 9 finishes up this part of the prayer. They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. God, you are our refuge. So at this point, Jehoshaphat has, not, has acknowledged who God is to him, powerful, faithful, and a refuge. Also, very important, he acknowledged what he would do before the crisis came. When, when, he, when he said, he, uh, in the last couple of verses, he says, this is what we're going to do when there's a problem. He, he made up his mind before the crisis hit because uh, sometimes maybe uh, the crisis happens and it's too late. I don't have a faith to lean on. I don't know where I'm supposed to turn. He already knew where he was supposed to turn, so that that's, I think that's very helpful. Maybe at times we don't know where to turn, um, but we're going to there's, a, there's a another way to get led to that point, which we're going to get to in a little while. And so, who is God to you? This is very important. To, to Jehoshaphat, God is powerful, God is faithful, and he is a refuge. Who is God to you matters a lot for what's going to happen next. See, is, is God strict? Is he harsh? Is he compassionate? Is he loving? Is he, is he the creator and he created us and then he just left us be? Or does he, make, uh, does he control every move of our lives? Or did he create us, but he gives us free will, but he still, he still allows us to, uh, to have uh, con- some control um, or, or what we call free will, um, but he's still active in our lives today? See, those are questions that we, we, we might not all agree completely on, but you got to know what you believe. You've got to know who God is to you, um, or when the next part happens, there, there's going to be some problems. Jehoshaphat knew who God was to him. That's the whole first part of this prayer. Um, he actually spends more time acknowledging who God is than, than for the request for what comes next. There's, the, there's a transition in this scripture. And I'm not allowed to say this word in front of my kids, uh, so I sh- probably shouldn't say it up here. No, I'm just, uh, but, B-U-T. Um, we get confused at home sometimes, and, and uh, my four-year-old laughs, and so do I sometimes, but you know how that is. Uh, so up to this point, God you are, and, and you can fill in the blank. Jehoshaphat filled in the blanks. But this is the turning point. Verse 10. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose ter- territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they were repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do. God, you're good, but I just lost my job. I don't know what to do. God, you're good, but this physical ailment, this condition that I'm facing, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. God, you're good, but people don't know this. But mentally, I have I have these these th- these thoughts and and uh, these fears. I know you're good, but I don't know how I can go another day like this. God, you're good, but, man, these relationships are tough. Family's hard. Friends, friends can be tough. I just don't know what to do. So my question for you, and I think the question for me and for all of us from this text is, which is bigger, your crisis or your God? You have to decide that Now. Don't wait till the crisis and weigh them up, and uh, I might get through this because my, my, my God can help me, or, or maybe not. You've got to decide right now, which is bigger? Now, choosing to give your attention and your mind to God, it doesn't just make the crisis go away. It's not just wishful thinking, but it will be a reminder of the eternal hope, an opportunity for spiritual growth. You may grow in the hard times, but only if you trust God through them. And in order for that to happen, you have to know who God is first, you have, to, you have to rest on God being powerful and faithful in our refuge and not the but, not the problems. So as I, as I was preparing for this this morning, I, I, I'm sorry, not for this morning, for next week, I was reading this book called uh, Hope in the Dark by Craig Rochelle. And I'm, I'm br- I brought this book up because I wanted you to see that these aren't my words. I, I do agree with them, and, and I think they're very helpful. Um, but this is actually a story of Habakkuk, uh, this book. Um, but I felt like what this, uh, what this says here relates a lot more to today. So I just, I just want to read from the book. It's just about a full page here. He says this. When the Titanic is sinking, it's hard to enjoy a game of shuffleboard on deck or to appreciate that the string quartet playing music on the bandstand. When you don't know whether the radiation and chemo will work or where the money is going to come from or when you'll see your child again, It's hard to believe that praying, trusting, and hoping will make a difference. It's hard to keep the faith when you have so little control over everything else in your life. Sometimes the pain is so intense that all you can think about is relief. Everything in you just wants it to stop because the immediate hurt is so extreme. Instead of thinking about Jesus, you may just be thinking about getting out of the pain you're in. But this can become a pivotal moment in your faith journey. This is when you can experience the depth of God's grace in a way that's impossible during better moments. His presence is real in your pain, and it might become more real in this valley than it was on the mountaintop if you can recognize that the way is through, not out. Perhaps that's why Blackaby, Blackaby is another author, Henry Blackaby, who wrote Experiencing God, he um, says, he's referencing him, sees that this crisis is so vital. A requisite part of the Christian faith. If we're going to become stronger in our faith, more committed to God, more in love with Jesus, then our beliefs will be tested. They must be tested. Blackaby explains, will God ever do to you, sorry, will God ever ask you to do something you are not able to do? The answer is yes, all the time. People may tell you that God won't give you more than you can bear. While they probably mean well, that's simply not true. The Bible does say that God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. But he often gives us more than you can handle, so you can learn to depend wholly on him. He finishes, those words can be difficult to read and digest when you're hurting. Believe me, I understand. Remember, I've been there. And as a pastor, I often walk with people through the lowest points in their lives. It's never easy, but God's faithfulness is always evident. So Jehoshaphat is at this point in his life, a point that... It's probably similar to to what this guy just described. A time that you could plan, you could scheme, you could make a decision of how you're going to get through this, how you can invest and work harder, figure it out. He says, we don't know what to do, and here's the second but. We're going to try harder. Nope. In this story, in the story of Jehoshaphat, there is absolutely no hope for him to get through this on his own. None. He knows they're so outnumbered. They don't have time to prepare. They have zero chance. They're going to be destroyed. He's going to die, and he's going to watch his whole family die. And and this is what he says. Our eyes are on you. This is his prayer. God, our eyes are on you. Your turn, God. Completely dependent. And I love the Bible so much because of the theme of redemption and a theme of hope. And there's so much in here. Of, of stories where people don't have any hope, and God offers hope. In Matthew chapter 14, there's, uh, there's actually three different stories, um, but they, they appear to be separated, and so we never read them together. We never come to the point in our Bible where we read uh, about John the Baptist being beheaded. That's the first 12 verses. Um, we usually just stop that that Sunday morning. But I want to look at all three of them because first, John the Baptist is beheaded, so that's the crisis, This is not good. But then the next story, Jesus feeds the 5,000. So Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children, so it could have been 12,000 people with five loaves of uh, bread and two fish, and there were leftovers. And so we see who is Jesus. He's powerful. We see John the Baptist beheaded. Oh, no, we we live in a broken world. And then we come to the third section when Jesus walks on water. And I want to read this this part of the story of of Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and he cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out to, to his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. The disciples had been through a lot. Uh, they just saw something great. They saw Jesus' power. They saw a tragedy. Uh, and then we get to this point where um, they're in the boat, and there's wind, and, and, it's, uh, um, and Jesus is walking on the water, just out there walking on the water. And, and Peter got out of the boat. So we know he believed. And so we, we know when, when uh, he could answer the question, who is God? But as he was walking, he saw the wind, and he was afraid, it began to sink. The wind is the crisis, the challenges. God, you are, but this is tough. And like Jehoshaphat, in desperation, he had to decide very quickly where he was going to turn. Peter cried out, Lord, save me, Jehoshaphat, in, with no time to prepare, with no hope, our eyes are on you. We have to make a decision: which is bigger, your crisis or your God? Now I know this is this is very personal for many. In first service this morning, I, I couldn't help but look at quite a few people who I know have have lost children, have lost spouses, have lost parents, um, just have gone through a lot. And and I and I was looking out and and just thinking, man, this is this is about you and your faith, and where you are with Jesus. It's, it's really like you grasp, you can only answer this question on your own. But the truth is, it's, it's also about others. See, I, wa- I want to read how this, the story in Matthew 14 finishes, just a few more verses here. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed on at, at Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. When people see you going through life challenges, hardships, I mean, struggles that maybe, maybe they couldn't imagine right now, they, say you go, they see you go through that because you look to Jesus, and you clung to him, and they see, they see life change, and they see, oh, it does make a difference. Well, guess where they look when they have the, the tragedy? That's what I was talking about earlier. You want to be ready ahead of time, but for those people who aren't, we are exactly who they're looking to. They're looking, at it, they're looking at you. When they face the crisis, you will lead them to Jesus by doing the same. See, Billy Graham said, the modern world is said to have made discipleship harder, meaning growing in our faith and studying and, and understanding more, but it has also made evangelism easier. We just did this long series on uh, reaching out. It, there's, there are ways, but you, your ways may be more effective. See, today's world is said to be uh, multiplying crises all around us. But Billy Graham says, but we must never forget that for the gospel, each crisis is an opportunity. By remaining faithful through a crisis, you are sharing the gospel in a way that we can't do it just in our, in our programs. I mean, small groups are great. Being generous is great. But when I watch you go through a tragedy and I see that you're still here and I see that you've clung to the gospel, you've clung to the hope of Jesus, you're preaching to me. When I look at, at some people from first service who, who, who lost, lost a child, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say, name. you know who I'm talking about. And I look them right in the eye and I think, wow, they are doing it. They've done this. They've lived this out. I can look to the scripture and, and, and hopefully prepare myself. Hopefully my faith will be strong enough that I can cling to who God is when that tragedy comes, when the hardship comes, because it hasn't for me. I, I have not lost a parent. I have not lost a spouse, a sibling, children. I, I know I'm, I'm, I feel very fortunate in that point, but it will it will come at some, at some point. And when it does, will I be ready? And for you who have, have gone through those, who have gone through the challenges, whether they're relationships or job losses or sickness, and I see that you're getting through them because you're clinging to the hope, you're preaching to me. I mean, I, I'm young. I'm still learning. And I can always say thank you. But, but I'm watching you. And the people next to you are watching you. And the community is watching you. The, that's, that's the hope that we share. And by you clinging, you should be up here preaching this. We don't ask for these. We don't ask for hardships. I, I hope that I go the rest of my life um, without ever losing someone very close to me. But God can use them. When they happen, If we remain faithful, God will use them if you will will allow, if you will be faithful in those times. But how can we be so sure? How can we we know that looking to Jesus is is the right place? Time. He stood the test of time. John Ortberg is a a preacher. He said in his Easter sermon in 2009 when the country was in a, a big economic crisis, he said this, People have not gathered for the past 200,000, sorry, two, just 2,000, well, wow, 2,000 years to say the stock market has risen, it has risen indeed. They have not gathered to say the dollar has risen, it has risen indeed, or the employment rate has risen, or the gross domestic product has risen, or General Motors has risen, or the value of your 401k has risen. Here's the one hope that has held up human, human beings over every continent and culture for two millennia of difficult times, of poverty, disease, pain, hardship, and death itself. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. That's the reminder that God is powerful, he's still faithful, and he wants you to find refuge in him. That's our invitation of hope. So if you don't know Jesus, I I would pray that you would come forward, that you would make a decision, uh, that you would decide who this person is to you because you've seen other Christians live it out. And if you are a Christian, if if you're in a place now where you know Jesus, he's your Lord, he's your Savior, you know who God is to you, uh, I would just ask you the question, who is bigger? Your crisis or your God? Make that decision today and be the example that the world needs. Let's pray. God, we come to you again looking at description through the stories through the prayers and through jesus uh, you showing us who you are a powerful faithful loving caring god who wants what's best for us and, w- and who will work through any situation uh, as we allow we know you're in control and you love us and so i pray that we surrender to you uh, that we give everything we have uh, whether good or bad uh, so that we can continue to make you known and it, all in hopes of the eternity that you promise us Thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray.